0: Hi, this is George Bathgate. Uh, Welcome to episode five of the Accidental Curator. Coming to you from Kitsilino today, Um, I divide my time between here and a studio I have over on Main Island, in the Gulf Islands, if you're unfamiliar. Uh, It's March the 19th, and as I seem to preface most of my podcasts, I'm a little slow getting this one out. Once again, uh, I think it's been about five weeks since I posted the last podcast, but this is new material I've been working on. And I think it's just taken me a little more time to work on the original stuff and be comfortable with it. A lot of soul searching, a lot of rewriting and a lot of editing and listening and stuff like that. So anyway, it's done to the best of my abilities. And uh, as I mentioned, this is um, chapter two, in the narrative that I've been working on. My podcast is going to have three elements. There's short stories, which will be coming from a body of short stories that I've either written in the last four years or will be writing moving forward. Or there could be interviews. Uh, I've had one interview so far and I plan on doing further interviews. But this story is chapter two, uh, in the narrative of the accidental curator, uh, so sit back and please have a listen. This chapter is called Fresh Starts and Fresh Tarts. It's August, 2013, and I'm realizing that my new business project on Main Island is dangerously situated. I'm not speaking of rising sea levels or tinder-dry forests no i'm talking about my proximity to a delicious little bakery known as the sunny main which is a mere 300 feet away i am weak and the pull of the baked goods is strong linda is the owner baker and she gets up very early as bakers are wont to do to make an irresistible collection of tarts muffins scones And other such pastries to lure me away from my duties at my new gallery. I have so much to do, but certainly it can all wait as I eat this glazed raspberry and walnut muffin. If I had washed up, figuratively and literally, on the shores of this island prior to gaining sobriety a year ago, the decision to do so might have been fatal. My new business, as part of the village, is also situated between two pubs and a liquor store. At that time, the Greenhouse Restaurant, which was formerly the main mast, and is now the Groove Kitchen, is a pebbles throw across the street. The Springwater Pub is staggering distance down the hill from my place. I can see their beckoning open sign and front door from my rear windows. And the Trading Post Liquor Store, with its decent collection of every kind of booze I used to enjoy, Is less than a 45 second walk from my front door but I am strong except for the pull of a good cup of coffee and one of Linda's delicious little lemon tarts the space I am leasing from Dave is a cute slightly worn yellow cottage with a green mossy roof and one big room of about 500 square feet it is zoned commercial residential so I am able to run a business here and also use it as my accommodation while I am on island. It has a decent little kitchen, a bathroom with a shower, and a -a hide-a-bed, which is more than adequate for my humble needs. The ceiling is panabode, which basically translates to uninsulated, as I will discover in winter, when my first hydro bills come in. And there's a generous array of vintage single pane windows, which are great for admitting in light, but compete with the roof to keep my hydro bills elevated as the cold weather settles in. How can it possibly cost so much to heat such a small space? I will lament ruefully each winter. There is so much to do when starting a little business from scratch. So much to learn, especially in an unfamiliar location, an island with a population of a thousand where I don't know a soul and with a business plan that can best be described as fluid and ad hoc. But I was clear-headed, optimistic, and dare I say, happy. My predecessor in this space, a woman named Nan, ran it as a hair salon called Main Cuts for 10 years before moving to the Maritimes. So my first job was to remove the remnants of her business, Sort through which of the furnishings she'd left to keep and which to give away. I don't know if Nan was a smoker or was a big candle enthusiast, but there was a thin veneer of what looked like soot on the walls and ceiling, which had to be washed off prior to painting. My son Cam and his dog Homer came over from Vancouver for four days in August to help me with the heavy lifting and moving, and to assist with the necessary cleaning and painting. Cam's a fabulous guy, great company, and his presence and assistance is always greatly appreciated. I'm thankful that our relationship is strong and healthy and survived the depths of my excessive lifestyle. I became six months seizure-free in July, so my van is back on the road, And makes an excellent workhorse for moving furniture appliances and other possessions from vancouver as we are busily painting away a beaten up 1980s ford 150 pulls into my driveway and stops with the engine running the driver a guy in his mid to late 40s looking every bit the aging rocker with shoulder length stringy blonde hair knee length robin's egg blue spandex exercise wear and a belly button length dirty pale yellow tank top ask t-shirt jumps out of the driver's side swearing profusely storms around to the passenger side door opens it and pulls out a cooler from the front seat holding the cooler he kicks the door closed puts the cooler onto the cargo bed returns to his steering wheel guns it and uses my driveway as a turnaround to head back down the hill i will soon learn that islanders use my driveway as a convenient turnaround if they've forgotten something friend of yours my son asks oh I'm sure he will be soon Cam I reply somewhat facetiously there are no strangers lad only friends we haven't met especially on an island this size we work diligently but it is summertime and my son is an outdoor enthusiast So we make a point of breaking after a good day's effort to explore some of the treasures that nature and this island have to offer. We choose a hike up Mount Park where you can find pockets of dry yellow grasses among the oaks and Arbutus to sit and gaze meditatively on the Salish Sea surrounding islands. I take Cam to my favorite spot which overlooks Punch's farm and, on a clear day, the serene white cap of the dormant volcano, Mount Baker, in Washington State, a 100 kilometers to the east. God let me keep these blissful moments. Afterwards, we managed to hit one of the beaches to chill out and have a swim to cool off, and cleanse away the hike and hard work we've done. At this time of year, there's always a lively scene on the island's beaches, families with kids running around, teens swinging off ropes or diving off the floating platform and an assortment of ecstatic dogs chasing digging and swimming this completes the sounds and sights of an idyllic august moment human motivation my own in particular remains somewhat of a mystery to me the pull of my personal dream vision combined with the fight or flight push of experience has set me on this current path. My decision to uproot myself from the city, to relocate to a rural island is complex, but has, as I see it, three basic elements. Since my teen years, I've had a visceral longing to live closer to nature, sustainably, organically, even cooperatively and communally. I'm not sure where this urge comes from, but it has run deep and long. The second pull was a realization that I could sell my city house, leave my unfulfilling job, and realize my rural dream. The third motivation was a push, and rightly or wrongly, it came from my somewhat dark view of the world and where we seemed to be heading environmentally and geopolitically. The warm and fuzzy pull of the dream was given a little push from my reptilian fight-or-flight mechanism. Until I get all my food and kitchen supplies in order and my desire to cook up and running, the Springwater Lodge serves as our evening dining place. For all of Cam's hard work, it's my treat of course. This evening I had a fabulous Italian winter bean soup and a zucchini lamb moussaka and Cam chose the classic pub food. Bacon, cheeseburger, and fries with a little coleslaw. Luckily, we managed to score a seat on their glorious deck, overlooking Galliano Island and Active Pass. From this vantage point, we can sit over a post dinner cup of coffee and dessert and watch the sun go down. Not unlike many people in sobriety, I have my residual addictions, or habits as I now like to call them, which include coffee a little too much computer time, and sweet things, as I've mentioned earlier. When in restaurants, I take advantage of dessert opportunities, things which I wouldn't normally have at home, which tonight involves a selection of homemade pies, creme brulee, and cheesecake. I settle on the cheesecake. Cam has the apple and blackberry pie. I steal some of his crust while he's watching the ferry go by. Although I may be powerless over these sweet baked temptations, they do not as yet make my life unmanageable. My new business, which I am tentatively calling Shavasana's studio, is a short three-minute walk through the fields and up a slight hill behind the spring water. The spring water itself, and indeed the entire 10-acre parcel that my little building is on, and most of Miners Bay for that matter, was once the property of a settler named John Collinson, Who arrived on Maine in the 1870s. John built the Springwater as his home and over the years it has served as a hardware store, post office and eventually in 1893 as a hotel and pub to greet thirsty and tired prospectors on their way to the Klondike Gold Rush when they dropped anchor in the aptly named Miner's Bay. Sadly, The structure which houses the spring water has fallen into general disrepair. Time is not kind to wooden structures, which are over 150 years old. Peeling paint, sagging foundations, invasive plants and broken windows greet visitors. But in some way this adds to its rustic charm and in fact most customers turn a blind eye as they beeline for the outdoor deck or the pub with its promise of beer and cheer. Cam and I returned to Vancouver after four productive days. He to his house in Kitsilano, which his mother bequeathed to him just four months earlier after she passed following a lengthy illness and I to the home which I share with my sweet lovely and very patient partner Kathy which is just several blocks away. When I returned the following week I am greeted by this freshly painted and spotless place a simple and clean white which seems to work well for this smallish room it's very zen by necessity if not by design as in these early days I really don't have much art or a complete business plan to offer island residents the self-serve coffee gallery concept will need to gestate for several months while I work on some necessary landscaping and signage projects, gather supplies and equipment for the cafe and play enough hooky during the waning days of summer to explore and enjoy my new island retreat. As a newcomer here on the island, I need materials, resources and services to get this whole project off the ground. Landlord Dave and neighbor Billy are great sources for this kind of info but it's also important to reach out to islanders to get an idea of what's available. I will have to unleash my inquisitive and chatty self. During these early days, the bakery became my go-to spot for chit-chat, information, and idle gossip. I find out that cashier Marie's husband, Gordy, works with metal, does welding, and hauls things on occasion. Another guy named Richard has a wood mill, and will have wood of the size and type I need for my sign. A big gruff fellow named John, who's at the bakery every day, can deliver topsoil, which I need for my backyard garden and front yard landscaping project, where I plan to locate my new signage. Marie points out John to me, and I decide to dive in and make an arrangement. I sense from his face and demeanor that he's been down a few bumpy roads, Hi, John, I say as I hold up my hand. My name's George, and I'm opening up a new business at Nan's old place. Marie tells me you have a truck and deliver topsoil, is that right? Yeah. I'm going to need a truckload. How much is it for dirt and delivery? Fifty-five bucks, he grumbles as he reluctantly shakes my hand while staring at his muffin and coffee. Great, I reply. And that includes delivery? Yeah. How soon do you think you could do that? Tomorrow. Oh, great, I say. Does morning work for you? I have to go pick up some metal staves tomorrow afternoon. Yeah. You, you know where Nan's old place is, right? Just up the hill? Yeah. I can tell that my ebullient disposition is winning him over. Good stuff, man. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks. My next stop is a three or four kilometer bike ride to check out some larger cuts of cedar that Richard has for signage that the hardware store doesn't carry although my van is back on the road I decide in these early days at least to leave it in Vancouver and use my bike as my only means of transport on the island getting fit and having a lower carbon footprint we're going to be part of this new lifestyle shift this naive enthusiasm would only last until my first invitation to join some musicians for a jam all the way across island during a rainstorm. Uh, gee Bill, I'd sure like to, I remember saying. I I guess I could wrap my guitar in a large plastic garbage bag and strap it on my back as I cycle through this deluge in the cold and dark to your place. My GMC Safari, my new island car, would take up permanent residence on Maine shortly thereafter. But that comes later, for now it's still the glorious shoulder season of late summer. Blackberry harvest is over for the year. Most of the tourists have gone home and been replaced by wasps and crane flies. The days are warm and dry, and the undulating roads are quiet and perfect for cycling. And I'm pedaling my way to Richard's to look at a piece of wood. Richard and his wife run the lovely Fernhill B&B and also have a lumber mill under a large white tent on their property. I haven't phoned ahead because someone at the bakery said that I should just drop in, as Richard was sure to be about. As luck would have it, he wasn't there, but had gone to visit family in Winnipeg, according to his mother, who was caretaking the place. I explained why I was there, and she suggested I call him on his cell to discuss board size and pricing. I got him right away and told him about my signage needs, and he directed me to a stack of 10-foot by 10s stored by the woodmill. I probably only need 7 feet, I said. How can I I pay you? Well, you can just go down to the mill. Uh, There's a circular saw and a tape measure there, and just cut whatever you need. Hmm, 7 feet at 3 bucks a foot? Let's just call it 20 bucks. You can give the money to Margaret, and I'll get it when I get back. I'm beginning to love some of the casual ease with which things can get done here. And after many years of a lifestyle that was stuck on high-speed replay in the big city, I find the serendipity and newness of experience here to be stimulating and kind of charming. Thanks, Richard, I say. Enjoy your holiday in Manitoba. With only my trusty Peugeot at my disposal. I have to be creative with the transport home. I make my cut and am left with a beautiful seven foot long red cedar 2x10, which probably weighs 40 or 50 pounds. Luckily, I've brought my bungee cords, so I decide to strap the board to the top of my bike, resting it horizontally on the seat and handlebars, and walk it home. I'm pleased with this adaptability but I can tell by some of the quizzical looks I'm receiving from islanders passing by. They're likely thinking, hey, is that the new guy that's taken over Nan's old place? I wonder what he's doing. Doesn't he have a car? Hey, nice cut on that cedar plank. When I return to Shavasana with my plank, my first job is to cut an oblong hole in the front lawn where the sign garden will go and where half of tomorrow's topsoil delivery will wind up. My decision includes cutting up some old weathered split rail fencing that I found on the property into six foot lengths and bundling them together to act as post frames either side of the sign and moving a neglected bed of gladiolas and daffodils from one area of the yard to the new sign garden. With cooperative soil to dig in, this project should have taken a couple of hours, but from the moment my shovel broke ground, I knew I was in for an unplanned ordeal as it turns out the soil on my portion of this property is a malicious blend of small rocks and hardpan alluvial deposits left over I assume from the last ice age a jackhammer would have been a more appropriate tool to dig my post holes many hours later muscles aching and bathed in sweat I complete my various tasks flop on the ground exhausted in full shavasana pose and stare at the sky having projects is great and quite likely necessary for my mental and emotional well-being i ponder the remaining tasks that i have to complete for my prone cloud-gazing position before i can head back to vancouver in a couple of days okay let's see tonight i can lay out the lettering which my graphic design buddy Chris made and pin it and trace it on the plank in preparation for tomorrow's Dremeling. My son Cam has lent me his Dremel, which will be another new experience. And um, after that, I need to paint the letters and sign framing black, let that dry, nail it onto the sign, get ready for John's topsoil delivery, and then cycle over to Gordy's to see if I can have two metal staves fabricated. And then, just uh, assemble the whole thing. Piece of cake. Mmm. Cake. Dessert. Some kind of pastry to accompany tonight's takeout from the grocery store deli, I think. I realize that I am hungry and must act fast before the True Value grocery store closes in 10 minutes. Luckily, it's right across the street beside the bakery. So I stroll down the hill to grab a deli sandwich and salad and a pie. I can justify this whole pie, I think. I've been working really hard, burning off a lot of calories, and I've got another busy day, and, and of course dinner tomorrow night, and and I like pie. At least it's not a six-pack and a couple of joints and a pie, I rationalize. And what if someone drops in? It'd be ill-mannered not to offer them something, I think, but my pie? No, I, I like pie. I'll offer them tea or coffee instead. I acquiesce to its beguiling crust and blackberry filling. I make idle chat with the cashiers, explaining that I'm the new guy that's occupying Nan's old hair salon across the street, making us neighbors of sorts. Everyone's affable and curious, but distracted by the line of last-minute shoppers. I make my purchase and return to my studio. The property that my studio is on is a beautiful 10-acre waterfront parcel overlooking Active Pass and Galliano Island. I occupy an indeterminate amount of it, but am situated on a rise of high ground about three or four hundred feet from the pebbly beach. My backyard is a flat acre or so of grasses with a fabulous spot to pull up a chair above the view and chill out after a hard day's work over dinner, a cup of licorice tea and a piece of pie. This spot with a little food and a position to catch the last rays of the setting sun is all I need to be happy right now. It's been a great day. As a new part-time resident, my situation is perfectly suited to quiet evenings of creativity and planning until I pass out from exhaustion. I have no immediate friends on the island as yet, I have no TV, and I haven't had time to set up a Wi-Fi account. And as mentioned, I don't drink or get high, two activities which used to occupy so much of my attention in the evenings. Now it's just projects and planning. I'm in bliss. I wake up early and prepare for another busy day. I love the amount of light that comes into my space as I open all the blinds. And in these early days, I find myself giving thanks and appreciation for this small healing place. As one who suffers from SAD, seasonal affective disorder, which is a kind of depression experienced as a result of living with our very gray overcast winters, this little studio with its copious amount of light filtering in is a bomb for my moods. After a little coffee, fruit, and oatmeal, well, okay, a lot of coffee, I carry on with my various unfinished projects and get ready to receive John's topsoil delivery. Landlord Dave has quite generously given me access to his tool shed and any tools I may need for my various tasks. As co-owner of this large property with its five dwellings, tool shed, garage, and various other structures, he and the other owners have assembled an impressive array of tools and equipment to maintain their assets. I pick up a wheelbarrow and load it with shovel, rake, saw, sledgehammer, and push broom and head back up the hill. Every time I wander down the hill to the tool shed or on my way to the beach, I pass by the grave of the original settler, John Collinson, who was buried on this property with his indigenous wife and three young children. The five of them are in a small fenced gravesite just above the ravine which bisects the property. Occasionally, I pause at the Collinson family resting spot and pay my respects and reflect on what life must have been like for them over 130 years ago. The story has it that John had been married to a woman of European descent, and when she died, she was buried in the local church's graveyard. Sometime later, John got remarried to a First First Nations woman, and when she died, the church refused to bury her in the quote-unquote European graveyard. John had her buried on this property, along with three of their children, who had also died quite young. Then... When John passed, he chose to have himself buried here next to his indigenous wife, either as a snub to the church or an expression of his abiding love for her and the kids. I dump the tools in the wheelbarrow in the front yard as John pulls up with his load of dirt on an old flatbed truck. We agree that the asphalt driveway looks like the best place to drop the load, So John goes about positioning the truck and raising the hydraulics to allow the soil to slide off in a tidy pile for me to shovel into the wheelbarrow. Great. Everything is working smoothly and I'm on schedule, I think. Thanks, John, I say. Great job. Although as I eye my topsoil, I'm starting to think that it lacks that nice, dark, rich quality I was hoping for and has the look of a lower grade of dirt. Okay, I say, pulling up my wallet. How much was that again? $75. Uh, John, when I talked to you yesterday, you quoted me $55. No, I didn't. Yeah, remember we were talking in the bakery and uh, you said 55 bucks, including delivery. No, I didn't. Earlier, I'd overheard John getting into a heated disagreement with a young fellow about removing garbage or something. Lots of swearing and raised voices. He was a big guy, gruff and imposing, and seemed to be kind of edgy. I could tell where my own deal was going, and I didn't want to get into it. Ah, okay then, I said. I must have misunderstood, John. Seventy-five bucks, here you go. I say, pulling the money out of my wallet. He mumbled something about delivery costs and drove off. Turning to the task at hand, I grabbed a shovel and started to load the wheelbarrow for the multiple trips to my front signage garden and also to the overgrown and unattended back vegetable garden, which Nan had left for me. Although it was now autumn, the vegetable garden was in need of attention. So my thought was to load it up with topsoil in preparation for spring planting next year. After half the soil was distributed, I decided it was time to cycle to Gordy's to chase down the metal staves that I needed to affix my seven foot cedar sign. <clears throat> Gordy's scrapyard and metalworking shop is slightly beyond Richard's woodmill and the Fernhill B and B, so I set off on the twenty minute bike ride. Gotta cycle while the sun shines, baby, I think. I arrived around noon to find him working away in his scrapyard paradise. He seemed to be completely immersed in his work, surrounded, as he was, by every tool known to man in his large workshop, which rests among a greasy acre of rusting metal, discarded appliances, and automobile parts. It appeared that this is where all the island's discarded metal bits wound up to be used in Gordy's future fabrications. When I introduce myself and explain what I'm looking for, he points to a pile of brackets and says, why don't you bring me a couple of those brackets over there and I'll do them right now after I wash all this oil and grease from my hands. It looked like he'd been marinating his hands up to his elbows in grime, which he promptly began to remove in a basin of turpentine or some such liquid. The effect was to turn his hands and forearms from a greasy black to a light gray. Gordy did the job quickly and efficiently, while I steadied the four-foot staves on his workbench. He promptly drilled three screw holes in each and cut the ends to form a spike. When I started to discuss price with him afterwards, he said, No, no, that's okay. Catch me next time. Surprised by this unexpected act of generosity, I thanked him profusely and told him that I'd Buy him coffee or something, coffee and a muffin, next time I saw him at the bakery. I knew I was getting off cheaply. I managed to cycle my way back to the studio with the staves bungee to my bike frame between my legs. This saved time, as my intention was to complete my signage tonight before heading back to Vancouver tomorrow. I meandered down Fernhill Road, past assorted cottages, acreages, and farms the fernhill center with its small assortment of retail shops and the farmgate store appear on my left as i navigate this road which was one of the key strips on the island i slide past the health center and the k to 8 grade school where island kids go before they graduate and transfer to high school on nearby salt spring island with its daily commute by water taxi Farther down, Fernhill, beats the heart of historic Maine, the Agricultural Center, or Ag Hall, as it is known, which has seen 130 years of weddings, funerals, and every other type of community event known to man. The Ag Hall grounds, with its bandshell and weekly summer market. The plumper pass lockup, an old one-room jail which has been converted to a museum. And farther down, right at the waterfront, the aforementioned springwater hotel pub this is the center of what islanders call the village if traffic lights ever arrive and i pray they don't the first one will be set up at the at the t-junction where fernhill and village bay road meet this is the hub through which all traffic must pass for life's essentials groceries booze and lottery tickets for some Ferry Access for All, and of course, Sunny Main Bakery's irresistible glazed Copenhagen's. As I am cycling by, I think of fruity glazed Copenhagen's and decide to stop and have an afternoon treat and obtain my dinner fixings from the True Value. It doesn't seem excessive to eat a Copenhagen at three while half a pie awaits me in the fridge back at the studio. I've been working pretty hard, damn it. Shoveling all that dirt, all that cycling. I need a little chill-out time, and besides, it gives me a chance to sit on the deck and feel the buzz of the islanders coming and going. Maybe hear a little gossip, read something important on the big message board. I order my coffee and pastry and tell Marie that her husband did a little work for me. This elicits a smile and an, oh yeah, as I grab my coffee and danish and move outside. To me, in these early days, it's a parade of strangers happily coming and going from the grocery store and the bakery. Many greetings and sias woven into threads of polite conversation. People are mostly friendly and the energy is good. I imagine that it won't be long before I become part of this friendly banter when I become a full-fledged shopkeeper in the village. Assuming they like what I'm doing, I think. Whatever that is exactly, I'm not yet certain, but I know it's going to have a big sign called Shavasana. Sitting there, I realize that I probably have too much work left to complete the signage project tonight, but I need to continue with my preparations anyway for completion next week. I pop into the True Value, grab a chicken pot pie and a plastic tub of pre-made three-bean salad, get momentarily distracted by the strategically placed dessert display before I remember the pie waiting for me in my fridge. I pay up, hop on my bike, and make the brief trip up the small rise to the studio. Between all the work required to set up my studio, gallery, cafe, thing, and the time I need to set aside for various creative projects, I am blissfully busy. One of the most important things to fill in sobriety is meaningful time. An idle mind, as they say, is the devil's playground. So all that time that used to be spent drinking and carousing at pubs, nightclubs, dinner parties, and other social events, now has to be filled with passion and purpose. I am blessed, for I have been given both for now. The sun is getting lower in the sky. And the savory aroma of the chicken and veggie pie distracts me from my labors on beautiful evenings such as this my habit is to grab my dinner and retire to the far back yard overlooking active pass i have to balance my dinner and dessert plate and an herbal tea and make my way carefully across the bumpy field to where my adirondack chair is set up i tuck into my meal and think about the differences in style that I've experienced in the last two days with the three fellows I've had to deal with for goods and services. The laissez-faire, take what you need and leave the money under the doormat approach of Richard. The gruff, uncommunicative demand for more money by John. And the generous, don't worry, catch me later of Gordy. A nice variety of styles and values that you don't normally see in the city. If this is indicative of rural living, A little unstructured, a little unpredictable. I like it. As I'm reflecting on these exchanges, a large healthy stag, maybe two or three years old with a beautiful rack of antlers, rises from the tall grasses about 40 feet in front of me. He seems unafraid, chewing methodically on a mouthful of grass. He moves casually, eyeing me cautiously and curiously. I wonder if he's looking at my pie, I think. As I chew methodically, eyeing him cautiously yet curiously. A doe appears and the two of them gracefully make their way down the hill towards the setting sun, chewing as they go. When I die, I know that I won't be taking much with me, but I do hope that moments like this are allowed in my traveling suitcase. (laughs) Okay, listeners, that's um, the end of Episode 5, Chapter 2 of The Accidental Curator, and my name is George Bathgate. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I'm going to start working on Episode 6 fairly soon, which I anticipate will be an interview. I just have to sort out some of the details of that, and hopefully that'll be coming out in the next two to three weeks. I've been a little bit slow getting the episodes out but uh, life does present its obstacles and opportunities. So we're a full one year into the pandemic right now and uh, the current debate dialogue is all around vaccines. Will you take the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Pfizer, Moderna or the new Johnson & Johnson? Um, Anyway, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, There are those, of course, who deny the efficacy of vaccines at all. So time will tell how this all shakes down. Um, If you're interested in future episodes, you can subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment, that would be greatly appreciated or share the link with someone you think may be interested. Uh, It's now available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and the original Podbean Host, where I keep all my stored audio data. Uh, And as I mentioned, the Accidental Curator will attempt to reach out hopefully every two to three weeks, but it may be longer. And this will be announced through various social media channels. Please stay tuned.